Gracious God, there is, there is power in your word. Um, we're a people who struggle, we're people who face um, difficulties, are people who face doubts. Um, and yet when we come to your word, we find uh, abundant supply for us. By your spirit's power, you speak to us here. You show us Jesus, and so, Lord, I pray that that's what you do this morning. You build us up. You show us Christ and lead us to walk knowing that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're uh, stepping into, as you may have guessed from the song and Bible reading, Psalm 16 today. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, please flick it open. Um, I had the realization uh, last week, I said... Um, on, I joked on, in my Bible, it's on page such and such, I believe my Bible has identical page numbers to the, to the black Bibles at the back, which if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like a Bible to use or even to take home because we don't have one, then feel free to take one. Um, but it's on page 453 of those ones. Um, this is, uh, we're in part four today uh, of our five-part Psalms mixtape series, volume two, I should say. Uh, and preparing this message this week, I was really struck uh, by just how, um, how practical, how down-to-earth this psalm is uh, as it speaks into our lives. Psalm 16 is a psalm for people who are struggling. People who feel like they might be overwhelmed. Uh, as with many of the psalms, this was written for a certain situation in the author's life, David's life in this case. Uh, but he doesn't bring us in on the exact struggle that he was facing, going through. Rather, he speaks this one to the strugglers like him. And he speaks real, real practical hope into the lives of people who are struggling. And so as we read this, uh, it's right that we see and interpret our own struggles through the word of God here. That's, that's how we read this. So, so let this be an invitation. As we step into this, I don't know where you're at this week. Uh, if our prayer time is anything to go by today, there are some real struggles going on. I do know where, at, where some of you are at this week, and there are some real struggles going on. Perhaps, perhaps for you, you've just had a great week. You know, perhaps it's gone swimmingly. Um, but, but maybe not. You know? perhaps, perhaps you're in the middle of a tense and difficult relational situation. Or maybe for you... You're feeling like the challenges that you face are just too much, like the money that you have doesn't add up to the uh, commitments that you have to make with it, like the work that needs to get done is greater than the time to do it in, like the days provide too much worry and the nights too little sleep. Or maybe, maybe your struggles are maybe a little bit more self-imposed. Maybe for you, you have dug yourself into a place of addiction whether that be to, to drugs or to television or to whatever. Uh, and now you just want somewhere to hide from this thing that you've picked up and now can't seem to put down. Perhaps like many, this extended season of pandemic, of, of lockdowns, of rapid change, of separation of families, uncertainties about the future, maybe some of that or all of that collectively has really threatened to overwhelm you and that's your struggle. If you're in any one of those struggle situations, or any struggle situation at all, actually, pretty much, then Psalm 16 is written for you, and it speaks practically and powerfully to your situation. You know, Psalm 16 starts in a place where David feels like he needs to take 
refuge. In verse 1, he is begging with God to preserve him, to rescue him and to give him refuge. That's how we know that this is a psalm of struggle, right? Um, There's a lot of positive stuff towards the end of it, but it starts out in a place of basically, help God, I need to hide in you. And it's worth just acknowledging um, one of the most commonly believed lies in the world today, I believe, is that no one else struggles in the way that I struggle. No one else has struggles like my struggles. No one else knows the pain that I'm going through. Uh, and so I can't tell it to anyone. It's, it's mine and I have to carry that alone. It's a terribly dark place. But it's also, it's also, hear this, a terribly inaccurate place to be. From a Christian perspective, difficulties and pain shouldn't come as a surprise in this life. The Bible really tees us up for this. You know, we believe uh, in a fallen broken world being the nature of how things are right now essentially and so struggles serious struggles are actually probably to be viewed and this might sound depressing but as a normal part of life it's less a question of if they will come more of a question of a what struggle are you going through right now and b when will the big one come or the big ones for some people it's almost constant When you look around you, it can be really easy to look at these people here and to think to yourself, you know, everyone else has it together. Everyone else is stable, content. They don't look like they're under duress. They look like they're enjoying life. But that's just not the reality that we live in, let's acknowledge. And that's a reality that the Bible really addresses head on, especially in the book of Psalms. Yeah, I've, I've already mentioned Psalm 16 opens with David calling out to God for refuge. Um, refuge is this word that comes up loads in the Psalms. In fact, I, I did a little old search in the ESV, which is the version we preach from here. It comes up 45 times in the Psalms. I, I, didn't, I didn't bother going to the Hebrew, you'll forgive me later. Uh, and in fact, 10 of the Psalms, 10 of the 150 Psalms there are, actually open with a cry for refuge in God. So so 10 times in the Psalms, we find a Psalm that in the first two verses is crying out for refuge. Struggle is normal from the Bible's perspective. And struggle is something that the Bible is not silent on. And in fact, we have a real message of hope for us here today for the strugglers. Because David, at the start of Psalm 16, is quite self-evidently overwhelmed by the situation, whatever that may be. But by the end of the Psalm, David has reached a place where he can say, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. What is it that moves him from from A to B there? We get the general answer to that question right away when we step into verse 2. He writes, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. There's, There's a single line summary the key to finding meaningful refuge when you're struggling is to find what you need fulfilled in God to run to him as refuge and the rest of the psalm gives us this practical field guide of what it looks like to run to God as your refuge Um, and you know it's interesting the first thing that David talks about 
when he's talking about running to God as my refuge is going to the people of God. Did you notice that? Verse 3 and 4 provide this kind of as the, the positive and the negative version of the same point. He, David says, as for the saints in the Lamb, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And then he makes the negative version of the same statement. He says, the people who follow another God will reap sorrow. They don't have this perfect source of refuge and so they can't be a part of providing it. It's the implication. He delights though in God's people. He delights to be with the people that God has called out of this world. It almost, um, when I read it, it felt to me like it was a little bit wrong. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying I, I know better than scripture. I'm saying scripture knew better than me in this case, in every case. Um, but it feels a little bit wrong, that, doesn't it? That David says that all of his delight is in the people of God. That's what the Bible means when it uses that word saints. All my delight is in the saints. If you know your Bible, particularly the Psalms, actually, that feels odd, doesn't it? Because, uh, because David, you know, elsewhere is very clear where his delight lies, and it's not in the people of God, it's in God. You know, Psalm 37, verse 11, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. That's his commandment to all of us. And, and he's all about finding delight in God. Like just last week, we spent a while looking at Psalm 145, and Psalm 145 is this overwhelming call to praise God, which is to say, find your delight in God and express your delight in God. When we struggle, when we need refuge, what we need, though, is people who also delight in God. You know, the whole reason to delight in the saints is because they're people who point you towards God, you see. And, and Christians, read this as kind of the double-edged application that it is. Because on one hand, when we struggle, uh, we, we must bring it to God's people. Like, we, we can't be people who go, hey, I've got to struggle. I'm going to cage that in here, and I'm not going to tell anyone about it. You know, we need to be people who seek out brothers and sisters who find that comfort and that delight in them. Who, people who can encourage us in the truths of the gospel, in the reality of our inheritance and our hope and the certainty that we have in Jesus. But on the other hand, when, when, when that person comes to you, when a broken brother or sister comes to us seeking refuge, we need to be conscious about this. We need to consciously, keenly hold out to them the real hope that we have. Certainly we need to live out the practical implications of the gospel. Don't hear me saying, you know, just say to them, oh, Jesus is enough, and then shut the door or something. That's, that's not what we're saying here. No? We need to offer refuge. We need to offer a listening ear. We need to offer support and food and financial help when it's needed, when it's called for. But we need to be all so careful that we don't, we don't functionally lead brothers and sisters to another God when they are struggling, rather than to the God who can actually provide relief. Let me explain what I mean. Suppose you have a, a friend whose name is Hypothetical George. Um, I don't know if George is the surname. Uh, I didn't think that one through. Anyway, uh, and he comes to you, Hypothetical George, struggling with panic and anxiety over the state of the world. It's the, it's the easy low-hanging fruit to go for here. Uh, it can be very easy to just remind George of worldly realities, can't it? George, this pandemic, pandemic won't last forever. It will end. These restrictions are only 
for a time, George. It's going to be all right. You won't be in lockdown forever. We're really quite lucky. A hundred years ago, there would have been no hope of you know, quarantine and containment in the way that we have it now. And if you were quarantined back then, you wouldn't have been out of video call someone. So count your lucky stars, George. Uh, you know, there's always a thousand kind of world answers that we can give to another person during struggles. And some of those can be useful in a secondary sort of way. But we have to be conscious about holding the greater realities, the greater hopes of the gospel before each other in kind of a George, Jesus is with you in this. He is by your side in this struggle. He's promised that he's with you always. Lean into that. He sent me to be with you as well, actually, as your brother. George, this sickness is symptomatic of truth that we know is true, isn't it? This world is broken and fallen, but we have a saviour whose blood has not just saved you from sin, though it has, glory to God, but will bring an end to all suffering and sickness and bring this creation to perfection in the end. George, I know you're struggling with loneliness. I struggle with loneliness, George. But the blood of Jesus has brought you into a family with a father who loves you so much and a good older brother who loves you enough to die for you and with many brothers and sisters who want to walk with you in this. Don't lose heart. God's going to win out. Those are real refuge realities for us in a world of changing boundaries, in a world of failing hope. You know, when I've had big struggles in my life, what's made the difference, it's been having the saints there who are going to mourn with me, who are going to pray with me, who are going to care for me, who are going to point me towards Jesus and the difference that he makes. That's what makes the difference for me. Now, David's next practical way to run to God for refuge is that we remember. He writes this, verse 5. He says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, when we consider the context, how on earth can he say that? How can he say when he's facing real painful struggles that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I mean, when you look at the life of David, it's actually quite difficult to narrow down which significant struggle he's talking about in which psalm, because there were so many of them. He had some doozies. Try, try, try one of these on for size in your life. Just kind of bring it into your day and think about how you would handle it. Going to fight a giant. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm out at number one, right? Being hunted by your own king to the point that you have to hide in a cave. Later, being hunted by your own son to a similar extent. Significant sin in his own life. Adultery and murder sort of stuff. We're not, we're not talking about, you know, he's grabbed a pen from the shop. Being rebuked and punished by God for said sin. Ruling a country that was under kind of constant threat of invasion. Can't forget that one. And, you know, all of this is kind of ignoring things like the fact that as a kid, you know, every now and then as a shepherd, he did have to fight the odd bear or lion, he mentions. 
So David had what we would call real-world struggles, big struggles. And in the face of those kinds of struggles, he's able to say, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And the practical reason he can say that is that he remembers this truth. The Lord is my portion and my cup. You see, every struggle for David and for us can threaten things that we hold dear. That's what makes them a struggle, actually, really. Struggles with the threat of invasion could threaten his home and his people, right? Struggles with being hunted could threaten his life. Struggles with isolation can threaten my community and my need for human interaction. Struggles with sickness can threaten my life or our lives, so on and so forth. But with David, there is something, someone greater than all of those things we hold dear and that can never be taken away. We, we, have, we have something that is better than everything and can't be threatened by anything. Here's, here's how we practice knowing that. We practice it uh, when we struggle by looking to the promises of God and clinging to them, the ones that we find in the Bible spoken to us, that assure us of his, un his faithful, unbreaking love, assure us that we have him. What, what did Tim Keller say there? Um, yeah, because God is better than things. The point there is not, um, you know, stop trying to get good things by, 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 by just weaseling through God. The point is, you're wasting your time if you're trying to get a Lamborghini through God. God's better than a Lamborghini. And so we remember that the best thing cannot be lost. And so we remember the promises of God when we struggle. We remember what's true for us now. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll come back. No, I'll get to that. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. These are the words of Jesus, by the way, if you're, if you're wondering. They're not John's words. Remember what will be yours in him. I will come back and take you to be with me. Every tear will be wiped away. You will be my people and I'll be your God. So many more on top of those, right? And because of all this, because the Lord is his, David can say, and we with him, because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. We can stare down challenges and struggles that might overwhelm us, and we can we can say, I know because Jesus shed his very blood. For me, I know that God is my God and he will not forsake me. That can't be threatened. Verse 9 and 10 of this psalm begin to kind of wrap it up, but it's important that we see how strong David's language is here because it might, it might be easy for us, um, even if we hear about all of the, the real struggles of David, even then to think, yeah, well, but... That really doesn't provide any practical help to me, does it? But actually, we'd be wrong to think it. 
Notice what David says here. He writes this. He says, therefore, that is because the Lord is mine and I cannot lose him. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Get this. My flesh also dwells secure. That is to say that all of this gives David more than a general sense of well-being, of contentment. He can feel bodily, physically safe because the Lord is his. And we might say, why? What reason does he have, right? The threat and the struggles, they're still there. He still might even lose his own life. What grounds does he have to say that even his flesh, even his physical body can dwell secure, can feel and can be safe if, you know, he's huddled in a cave or he's preparing to fight a giant or whatever? And the answer is that those who have faith in the true God have the guarantee of physical, bodily life beyond this life. It's quite as simple as that. David says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You know, that, that verse there gets picked up twice by the apostles Peter and Paul in the book of Acts, uh, New Testament, both times applying it not to David, not to us, but to Jesus. Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he quotes these words, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. And we might go, oh, but it's, you know, if it's just talking about Jesus' resurrection, then that doesn't really do much for my bodily security, does it? But actually, actually it does. Because the fact that Jesus was physically raised, that his body died, but death didn't get the last say for Jesus, means that for all who trust in Jesus, it will be the same. Paul explains it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He means who have physically died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. For everyone who trusts in Jesus, we literally have the guarantee of God that death and decay do not get the last save for us. Look down. Seriously, I'm not, it's not, not metaphorical. Look down at your body. Go on, you're all looking at me. Hi. Look down, down here. Okay, I'll do it and, and I'll trust that you're following me, okay? I'm going to have to look up here as well. Um, there's a lot of, I don't know about you, I find a lot of things here where I find odd dissatisfaction in them. Um, my kneecaps, they've been clicking since I was 12, like, a, like an old man. Um, look at that body with all of those terrible imperfections. All of those bits that are too big and too small. All of those health struggles. In Christ, you can look up again. In Christ, the current health struggles that you face and ultimately even your physical death and all of the imperfections of your body will not have the last say. C.S. Lewis um, sums this up really well. He said, I'm, I'm kind of taking a quote from within a quote here, the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to, let's pick someone, no, no, 
Um, the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship it. So glorious will be the transformation. So in Jesus, for those who have faith in Jesus, we can face struggles with, with mental and physical and spiritual security because the Lord is mine. He is my refuge and he will not leave me. See how practical this is. And, and as we wrap this up, I want to give you one significant caveat that, that we have to say here. And that is that none of this means that we won't struggle with the difficulties of this life. None of this means that if a Christian falls into a place of, say, depression, then they need to be rebuked for that because they're not, just not believing enough. Or they just need to have the right truths pointed out to them and they'll be instantly better. God does carry his people through, but sometimes people struggle hard for a long time. Sometimes even though we have good reason for hope, we can fall into a place of defeat for a time where we feel defeat, where we cry out to God and we don't feel heard even though we are. And you know, we, we won't dig into it today. The Psalms actually address that really well too. If you, if you want a, an interesting read, read Psalm 88 sometime. Psalm 88 is a depressing read in many ways. It starts with the words, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. It's another one of these struggle psalms. It ends with the words, my companions have become darkness. The end. But what we see there is that faithful people still face dark nights of struggle and of weeping. Dark seasons of struggle and of weeping where we can struggle and weep beside them as brothers and sisters, by the way. You know, even Jesus wept and felt crushed in the garden of Gethsemane. But what we can say, even to that person here, is firstly that it's okay to cry out to God, honestly. You know, you don't need to filter yourself to God in your prayers. You can cry to him honestly with your struggles. Bring your pain and your mourning to him. Bring your doubts to him. Even when you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, David did it. You can do it too. Second, there is good reason for hope in God, even if you're not feeling it right now. This current struggle will not have the last say. Mourning and tears will not have the last say. Sickness will not have the last say. Sin will not have the last say. Loneliness will not have the last say. Your story ends in life, joy and victory if you've trusted in Christ. Your story ends where Psalm 16 ends. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So even if you feel crushed hear this reality the struggle doesn't get the last say jesus does god is your refuge and don't struggle alone please go to faithful people who you can trust you have brothers and sisters here who love you pour out your pain to them 
open up to the family that God intentionally gave you? And with that in mind, I'm going I'm to close today and ask you, uh, give you two questions, rather, to ask one another after the service. Please try to lean into this. It's, it's an awkward thing to ask people a real question. It's a glorious thing to ask people a real question. What struggle are you going through right now? And then another for you to discuss, how does the truth of the saving work of Jesus and the hope that we find there bring refuge into the middle of your struggle? How does it speak hope into it? Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to ask for a spirit of openness amongst your people here today. Uh, because, like Dad said before, you've redeemed us. You've reconciled us, not just to God, but to each other as well. You've made a people who were no people your people. You have made, you have made us brothers and sisters, even though we didn't know each other and we didn't want anything to do with each other necessarily. But Lord... You have changed that. You've made us family bound together with the love of Christ. Help us, Lord, to be a people who know and who live out and who practice the hope that is ours in Jesus, who speak it into each other's lives, who love the good news and love to live out its implication in loving acts towards each other. Help us to be a, a light for what your love looks like today and always. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us. In Jesus' name.